welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Zach Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica. And joining us today are Stuart Flanagan, co-founder of Newport Renewables, and Ben Frank, North American Senior Sales Director for Solar Edge CNI Business. So to start with, you know, I always like to just get a, a sense of where you guys come from, you know, help everyone understand your background and uh, and and the role you're in today. I know we've had Ben on before, but uh, let's go go through it again, starting with Ben. Uh, what's your background in solar and how did you get to where you are today with Solar Edge and, and what, where are you today with Solar Edge? What's your role? Very good. Well, thanks, Zach. Thanks again for the opportunity to be here today with the Clean Technica listeners. And they'll remember that uh, I did a uh, we did a podcast, you know, a couple of months back on the agrivoltaics uh, industry. Uh, but for those who weren't on the call, uh, and that was a very fun topic. And, and there's a number of stories that came up after it. So I was like able to uh, insert the podcast into some other articles. I was like, oh, great. There's actually more. There's like a, there's more to write about that. I, I've been delayed getting to like the Pollinator Act. Okay. Proposed Pollinator Act it's legislation, very interesting. But yeah, there's, yeah sorry there's to interrupt. A, right, but it's no a really problem. good. Yeah, there's it's a, a really ton. good topic and good podcast. So I encourage everyone to go back and listen to that one. Yeah, great. And there's just so much happening on the agrivoltaics market. So, uh, but here we're, I guess we're here to talk about community solar today. So, you know, my background, uh, uh, as you introduced me, I manage our CNI business in North America. I've been in the solar industry for over 13 years, and I've been at, at Solar Edge uh, for over eight years. And uh, you know, our focus is is really on uh, three-phase uh, CNI projects, from agrivoltaics to community solar rooftop projects. I mean, you name it. In terms of you know, so for the audience, in terms of Solar Edge, uh, the company's been around since 2006. And they developed uh, you know, highly innovative way to harvest energy from the sun. You know, we have a unique inverter solution. Uh, but when people think about solar, they think about the solar panels, but it's actually the, the inverter technology that Solar Hedge, that's kind of the brains behind the system. And it's really responsible for uh, the energy produced, you know, from panels. Optimizers. If you're getting real, t- right? <laughs> yep, you, <laughs> if I say inverter to some people, they'll be like, they're murders and optimizers. optimizers. That's yes. 100% true. And, and we have a lot of other stuff really, really uh, coming up in, 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 in the next few years to continue adding to that energy solution. So you're right. It's it's the optimizer that's our secret sauce. It's a form of module level power electronics that sits behind a solar panel. And, and that's what helps increase production so that you can maximize the amount of energy that you harvest from the sun. And it's really, you know, quite a bit different than the more traditional, you know, string inverters that have been in the industry for quite a few years. And, and the result is higher production, which means ultimately more revenue. Yeah, I have a former business colleague, a friend who's got a solar insulation company in Poland. And just a few weeks ago, we were having a chat and I mentioned I mentioned the micro inverter, you know, inverters. And he's like, no, no, they're not. They're optimized. I, I, I know they're optimized. <laughs> yes, yeah. But uh but we yeah. do a ton of business. I mean, we're a public company. We do a ton of business in Europe and around the world. So yeah, we'll come back to that. 
yeah for you'll, sure. you'll see our installs everywhere yeah yeah i, I will come back to it because more stories but Stuart, let's uh, get your background in solar let's see if you can beat ben's 13 years uh, i think it was yeah similar to ben we've been in business i've been in the industry 13 years co-founded newport renewables back in 2009 2010 with a partner here from rhode island we focus on we're a clean energy solutions company providing solar and energy storage solutions for commercial utility and community clients and also a provider of zero energy homes so off-grid grid tie battery backup high-end uh, zero energy homes uh, we have been building commercial and utility scale projects a lot with solar edge technology for quite some time here in the northeast we've got a full-time staff over 40 people uh, electricians, project managers, et cetera, that are uh, building these projects from the ground up. Great. And I've been writing about solar for Clean Technica for 14 years, but I've been running Clean Technica for 13 years. I thought I was thought we had a 13-year gang there for a second. And I was like, oh, wait, no, I was writing about it for a year before I started running the company, the, the website. But uh, yeah, well, that sounds great. A lot of experience here. And I think just a you know, we'll get into the, the topic, but just generally speaking, community solar is, again, one of the most fun popular topic i mean it's just a all-around feel-good topic in the industry that you know helps many things at once so i i think everybody loves community solar it's kind of like one of the most lovable topics in our industry so but yeah to start off what is community solar for people who are new to it or newish to it uh what is community solar and how does it work ben let's go ahead and start with uh with you Sure. Uh, thank you, Zach. Uh, so uh, let's I'll switch to the what the U.S. Department of Energy how they define uh, community solar. So uh, so it's any solar project or purchasing program within a geographic area uh, in, in which the benefits of a solar project flow to multiple customers, and they could be individuals, it could be uh, businesses, nonprofits, other groups. So they're sharing in the production of that system, um, you know, and how, so that, that's the definition, uh, you know, ult ultimately what it means is, you know, many people don't have access to solar, right, on uh, either their homes or in wooded areas, or they live in apartment buildings, um, and they, they just don't have access to it. So this is a way for, for people to get access to solar. That it's not just a you know a, a smaller group of of homeowners that that could could benefit from it. Uh, in terms of how it works, uh, at the end of the day, it's very similar to any other solar project. You have solar developers. They they look for and they find either parcels of land or or more recently even rooftops, uh, appropriate rooftops, in order to develop and build community solar projects in that target geographic area, right? And, and then the, the whole ecosystem of the solar industry, besides the developers, which are the asset owners, right? Somebody's gonna actually own that asset. You know, the EPCs or engineering procurement construction companies like Stewart's company, engineering companies, electrical contractors, all of them kind of get together and, and help, you know, design, build and maintain these solar projects. And again, it's not that different uh, from operating any other solar project. What happens next is now you, you have to get subscribers, right? So you have to get individuals to subscribe to the system. 
And, you know, there's companies that help with the subscription process and they go out there and market in that geographic area to uh, sign up to solar. And, you know, why would an individual, why would a, you know, somebody who lives in an apartment building or a condo or, you know, other, why would they do it? You know, typically it's, it's to get savings on their electric bill. And, you know, typically the industry looks for a 10% savings versus what you would typically pay with your utility. And, and ultimately what ends up happening is, you know, local communities are able to benefit from solar without having to make the upfront investments. And obviously it also helps the environment. So just looking at a couple of figures here. So the average, you know, community solar subscriber, you know, if you look at the impact annually in terms of, you know, CO2 reduction, about eight tons of CO2 reduction equal to 115 trees over 16,000 miles of driven with a non-terminal combustion engine. So the real, there are real environmental benefits aside from saving money for the subscriber. Yep, that's excellent intro. One very complete in- intro on community solar. I might have to reference that for our own <laughs> use sometimes. Hello listeners, my name is Scott Cooney and I am Zach's business partner. I'm the founder of Clean Technica and I am so, so grateful to all of you avid cleantech fans out there. We are thrilled to have been accelerating the cleantech revolution for more than a decade now, and really that all starts with you. The decisions you make and your companies make are driving this revolution. I'm most happy to be able to say that if we at Cleantechnica had a nickel for every time we heard someone say that they purchased their first solar, their first EV, their first e-bike, or some other clean technology because of something they read on our website, Cleantechnica would have enough money to be a cable TV channel by now. But the thing is, we don't get those nickels, and as a result, our ability to move markets only goes so far. So I have a favor to ask. If you love what we do, and you feel that we're helping move the world to a better future, could you chip in a monthly contribution of 5 bucks, 10 bucks, or whatever you can? If even 1% of our audience chipped in $5 a month, we could really blow this thing up and move markets. So if you feel motivated and can spare the cost of one cup of coffee a month, please go to cleantechnica.com support and sign up through either PayPal or Patreon. Again, that's cleantechnica.com slash support. Thanks so much. So next question can go to both of you. It can start with Ben and then get Stuart going. Why is community solar becoming so prominent now? What needs does it meet both at a local and national level that is, you know, becoming more popular now? So, you know, I think it's continuing from the, how I described it before, you know, the technology that's available now in the solar industry, you know, makes it feasible to actually do this, right? So that uh, you you can build solar projects and, and you know, I think the commercial viability is, is very, very key. And with technology and these programs at the state level, because really they are state level programs, you know, the cost of building these, the cost of the equipment, the IRA, which we'll talk about in a minute, the the Inflation Reduction Act, all of these have, have made it possible to do this. Now, there's there's another aspect to, of it that uh, is a key part of these state-level community solar programs, and that's low to moderate income people, right? So if you look at the data from the National Renewables Energy Lab Laboratory, it shows that U.S. households that own less than $40,000 a year, which is about 40% of the country, 
uh, so a big percentage of the population, they're, they have the least availability to access solar, right? The benefit and the, you know, the savings and the environmental benefit of, of solar, but they also have the most to gain from some of the cost savings. So this is why community solar programs, all the states that have them, often require at least 50% of the subscribers. Remember I talked about before of the subscribers to these projects and individuals, businesses, et cetera. So most of these state programs require at least 50% of the subscribers are LMI, low moderate income individuals. So that everybody could, uh, so they get the benefit of that. And now what has happened, and I think it's almost a year since the IRA, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act was signed. So under the IRA, developers, solar developers, uh, they have access to what's called an ITC, an investment tax credit, uh, which had been ramping down and under the IRA was brought back up to 30%. But there's also other parts of the IRA that are well geared towards community solar to make it even more attractive, right? When we talk about the uh, commercial viability of, of community solar, the IRA significantly helped and specifically for community solar. So there's what they call uh, energy communities, which are defined as areas that have brownfields, you know, fossil fuel communities with, with high unemployment uh, or coal closure communities where coal plants are being turned down. So if you build a community, if a solar developer builds a community solar project in one of those energy communities, then they'll get an extra 10% in their investment tax credits. Now you're at 40% can be offset uh, uh, for the, you know, whoever's owning the asset to build it. There's also in the IRA additional incentives for like apprenticeship, apprenticeship programs so that, uh, you know, as these projects are built, and this is up to the developer and the asset owner to build these programs, but ultimately it brings more jobs, right, to that, that area. And that's why it's, it's, it's so key. So uh, I think those are, you know, the main, the main things that I wanted to go through. And Stuart, did you want to add? Absolutely. Yeah, there's really three main drivers of these community solar projects. Kind of an order of importance, there's the rising energy costs, you know, constantly increasing at three to 5% per year. We're still heavily reliant on fossil fuels. Um, that's obviously changing as the time goes on. But electricity costs continue to rise, and that continues to hit everyone right in the pocket. Uh, so everyone's always thinking about, you know, how can I save? Uh, that really leads into the state programs that are driving these projects. So many states, uh, at least 40 states, have at least one community solar project right now, and 19 plus states and growing are starting to create community solar programs in, in each state. And that's really driving the development of these projects, the projects coming online, and then the consumers benefiting. And the third driver is really, aside from people wanting to save money, they, they want to do the right thing for the environment and for future generations. So that, that desire, people have a way to actually act on that, especially if they you know, can't install solar on their home or business, like Ben mentioned, or they don't have the financial capacity to, or they live in a condo. So the ability to just simply sign on to an existing project really simplifies the process and immediately delivers savings um, and decreases their reliance on, on the fossil fuels that we're so desperately trying to get away from. So yeah, great points. And I would just add uh, something I think that never really gets 
I mean, maybe it's not a big priority that doesn't get mentioned much, but yeah, there's a, a greater efficiency to a community solar project. I mean, I know, you know, this for, when you're in the solar industry and you're looking at costs of rooftop solar, community solar, large scale solar, you know, that you know, the larger you get, the cheaper it gets per kilowatt hour. And so if you actually are able to subscribe to a community solar project, you can also feel good that you're subscribing to a more efficient, more cost efficient, you know, solar project than if you put on your roof if you were able to put on your roof you know so it's um... absolutely that's a great point there's there's what we call economies of scale in the industry and it definitely makes a lot more sense and it's a, it's very cost effective to install a six megawatt array and one tract of land or a rooftop versus hundreds or thousands of rooftop arrays across you know across a location across a state there's also the economic impact that you know, all these community solar subscribers are purchasing power from this solar array, which was developed and created a lot of jobs. So projects that we're working on can have 30 to 50 people just on site. And that translates all the way back up through the supply chain to Ben and Solar Edge back uh, on the manufacturing assembly line and everything flows down to the delivery truck drivers, et cetera. So you're, you're paying for Ben's job and Ben's vacation, you know? <laughs> <laughs> My vacation yeah. too. And here, all of us. Well, I think all of us. Know, yes, all of us actually. <laughs> just to add to that, you know, to Stuart's comment and you know, Zach, it's a great question. You know, when you look at the community solar programs across the country, these projects are typically sized anywhere from one to five megawatts. You know, with developers trying to build uh, projects as big as possible, closer to the five meg. Again, depending on the state you know, closer to five megawatts, so you can enjoy the economies of scale. So in terms of reference for the clean technica audience, you know, five megawatt ground mount or rooftop is probably about 25 acres, you know, somewhere in that, that range. And, you know, if you consider the average, I don't know, just for simplicity, household solar system at 10 kilowatts, you're talking the equivalent of 500 homes, if my math is right. So it's a it's definitely a, a a very efficient way to to build projects and and to get solar to to homeowners. Yeah, go ahead, keep going, Stuart. Sorry, we got excited by some of the stuff you said. We're just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I really um, the state the states as more states sign on and create these programs, it's going to continue to gr- to drive the projects and the subscriber base. There's there's certainly uh, plenty of opportunity. Uh, and plenty of need out in the community for the the types of customers that we mentioned. So we should see this continue to grow based on that demand. And uh, and I'm happy to share some more numbers to give an idea of the scope of community solar nationwide. So as Stuart said, you know, there's probably 19 to 20 states right now that that have programs in place or starting to launch programs. Um, New York State has been a very model, I call it a model state when it comes to community solar. I think a lot of these states uh, nationwide that are considering community solar are really looking at what New York State has done as they've done a really, really good program and they're kind of emulating it and, you know, with their own local twists, but all of them pretty much have this, you know, similar approach to to community solar. You know, New Mexico is coming online uh, with a lot of community solar, Illinois, uh, some of the other states uh, that are big on, well, I won't mention all 19 states. We only have a certain amount of, amount of time. But in terms of the amount uh, of solar it represents, 
you know, the expectation, if you look at some of the, the reports from the industry, the market is about a gigawatt. So there's about a gigawatt of, of community solar projects that will be built in this year nationwide. And uh, over the next three, four years, you know, looking at the 2028, again, if you look at uh, reports from companies like, like uh, Wood McKenzie, expect it to grow about 1.5 to 1.5 or more gigawatts. And that's a pretty sizable amount of, of, of solar. You know, one other note I mentioned is, is uh, California will be coming online with their new community solar program. And, and it'll also be quite big. It'll probably be one of the biggest, you know, from 2024 to 2028. So there'll be lots of opportunities for subscribers to participate in solar in, in the coming years. Yeah, California is always a giant in clean tech. So once <laughs> it's going to be huge, I'm sure. So what, if there were any other advantages or, or reasons why community solar is becoming prominent right now, Stuart, you can finish up on that if you had any more on that. Or or we move, just move into barriers and challenges that are facing community solar projects still or delay implementation or, or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll comment on, on some of the barriers. I think we've touched on it uh, already as far as the, the state programs. So even the states that have the programs, there's caps on how much can be developed and, and installed or enrolled in a particular year or you know, through a certain program. So that's one of the one of the caps for for or barriers that uh, exist for even states that have programs, and you know kind of goes without saying. But states that don't have any programs, maybe they just it's not allowed altogether. So that would be obviously the biggest barrier. You know, we've another just comes to mind the utility approval process, which I think is a, a nationwide issue, and you know kind of doesn't move at the speed that. That we'd hope it would move. That's that's certainly a barrier and can drag these these projects out and take a number of years. And the larger the project gets, the longer it typically takes to get through the municipal approval process, but also the utility approval process. And that's key for getting these projects interconnected and delivering that power to the subscribers. So I, I think those are really the, the biggest uh, barriers. This this more and more states are realizing the benefits of these uh, programs for both the subscribers and also for their you know state economies so i think as more states look at other states that have already adopted these programs and seen the success you know more and more are are taking a harder look at at them and, and signing on uh so yeah. i think it's yeah yeah i mean policy is huge i i mentioned before to call i was just in poland my wife is polish and, and we we were there visiting we hadn't been there in a couple of years and so much sol solar has been installed across the country now. It's like everywhere you look, there's solar solar roofs. My, my wife's parents have solar roof. Our friends, uh, her cousin who, whose house we're at, we'll come back to them. But I also, what I noticed just with solar being like everywhere now was a lot of interesting in, uh, installations and like larger ground mount installations. And I was you know, curious, like, are these communities solar projects? What's this? What's it, sometimes it's probably just the shop, the retail outlet, or someone's got property and they, I don't know. But uh, but there were, it was it was fascinating and intriguing just how much the the market had grown, but also where some projects were. So can you share some examples of uh, you know community solar projects that Solar Edge has been involved in, and and, and both of you that you know you just find most interesting or 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 noteworthy to to highlight 
Sure, Zach, I could start with that and I'll hand it back to Stuart in a minute. Uh, so we did uh, Stuart's company, Newport Renewables, as well as us, Solar Edge worked on a project together. Uh, it was a project uh, called Hartford Pike uh, in Foster, Rhode Island. It was actually a project that was developed and owned by Sunlight General Capital, who's a Solar Edge customer. And it is a 6.2 megawatt ground mount that uh, is actually quite a challenging site. That's it, big. <laughs> it's, it, it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's up there on, you know, typical, you know, when we talk about the size of the system, you know, it's five megawatts AC, and then it's a 6.2 megawatt DC, uh, just, you know, how you, you design these systems to maximize production. But it's a challenging site, you know, for all of you that have spent time in the Northeast and, and Rhode Island's not any different. The, and these are some of the barriers and challenges, right? Is actually finding sites to build these projects. Somebody owns that land and you got to acquire it or lease space. And, and you know, the land that you find is not always ideal. And this, this site is, is an example of that. It's very undulating. There's edge shading because of trees. And there's this massive pile of, you know, the rock mountain in the middle because <laughs> Rhode Island's very rocky and all of that. It impacts the the cost of the installation, uh, as well as the challenges to build it, which obviously Newport Renewables is uh, very much up to the, to the challenge of doing that. So yes, so the, the site actually provides uh, about 3.35 gigawatt hours per year of you know, clean renewable energy uh, for over 700 subscribers. And, you know, same thing that that uh, Sunlight General Capital program, the, the subscribers enjoy 10% savings on their electric bill. I think the latest numbers that we saw, and these are numbers that came from the Sunlight General team, the CO2 emission savings were equivalent to 3.4 million pounds of coal burned uh, each year. And, and just in the first six months of the project, it was turned on a couple of years ago, but uh, the first six months of the project, the subscribers saved over $26,000 on their electric bill. So really shows the uh, the benefits of, of community solar. Uh, I do want to add that, you know, you mentioned in Poland where you were visiting recently that, you know, you saw some ground mounts and, you know, was a community solar. The community solar programs, and this is me talking with my solar edge uh, colleagues around the world, and we do pretty much operate in every country, it's pretty unique to the U.S. Uh, I haven't seen any other community solar programs that are similar to what we're doing here and often take the opportunity to give a similar speech to my colleagues when we get together for annual um, annual sales meetings and marketing meetings. But uh, yeah, it is a unique and, and I think that's very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think some of them are probably related to businesses nearby or others, maybe just small utility scale projects you know because i mean i mean we're talking about i mean i said that's big for for community project solar projects i mean for a, a utility scale project yeah, i mean small. 100 megawatt was big 15 years ago now it's tiny so it's uh it's it's all relative but but yeah i was so you probably answered my question i don't i wasn't aware of anything like that uh, but it, but some of the installations just made me think hey could that be you know because community solar is a fun topic so you're just thinking that would be cool if that's here too but I haven't heard of it. So, uh, Stuart, do you want to chime in then on your perspective on the example? Yeah, that was a, it was a really cool project, uh, great project delivering a lot of power to a lot of subscribers. You know, Solar Edge was chosen by Sunlight General Capital for a few reasons that 
you know, impact and do impact the subscribers and the savings. You know, one, as Ben mentioned, the, it was a tough site, undulating terrain, the shading. So solar edge really made uh, the maximum energy harvesting possible there by, you know, really helping each set of modules optimize at peak performance and adjust to the different, different tilts and azimuths from going, going down these slopes and hills on this site. And then also just make sh- making uh, it possible to ma- maintain the maximum energy harvest from shading throughout the day and throughout the year. Another key consideration there was, you know, any maintenance. It's a distributed inverter type system. So there's a number of solar edge inverters out there. Uh, so if any part of the system needs to go down for maintenance, it's just one little section of the array that goes down and the rest can continue to generate clean energy for those subscribers. And then the third is really looking at the long term, which, you know, more and more developers are starting to get on board with this, thankfully. But you know, these assets are meant to last for 25 years or more. So it's really was the optimizers used here kind of added a lot of peace of mind and that any future future module replacements would be really simplified by not having to find the exact same electrically and physically compatible module if, if one were to fail in the future, uh, solar module that is. So it just really gave some peace of mind there and design flexibility in the future for just replacements and, and continuing operations and maintenance. Um, How did so you handle really, the rock, the Rockmore formation he was mentioning? Yeah, the rock formation is still there. I think the rocks are for sale if anyone wants them. Uh, <laughs> luckily, the, the mountain is not quite tall enough to cause any shading, but if it did, the optimizers would be ready to handle it. So, Yeah, not a Florida problem here, but uh, <laughs> sounds interesting. Sounds fun. You may uh, need some of those rocks down there to raise the elevation. <laughs> we'll start shipping them down. Exactly, <laughs> we will. And if I uh, could, so, if you don't mind me adding, Zach, to yeah. you know some of the other aspects of it and, and how this is able to help uh, you know the solar developers make projects viable and also you know and continue in ensuring that subscribers get those price reductions or cost reductions versus their electric bill. And this is uh, you know I'll dive a little bit more into you know solar edge technology and. You know, hopefully it'll be interesting to the crowd. It's interesting to me as a solar guy and as an inverter guy, but, you know, the uniqueness of SolarEdge with the optimizer, right, uh, allows the asset owners uh, to have module level monitoring. So mo- by modules, we mean the solar panels, and you, you have remotely eyes and ears right at the module level. And what that means is uh, if there are issues, like what Stuart was talking about, the asset owner is able to monitor the system and from an O&M point of view, keep their costs as, as low as possible to, you know, take action appropriately. You know in advance, like, you know, rolling a truck is very expensive to go fix something. But if you could fix it remotely uh, because of our monitoring platform and the optimizer uh, or determine what's going on on the site remotely and then, you know, end up having one truck roll to fix things this keeps the O&M cost, the overall cost and the health of the system in top shape so that you keep your O&M cost down, but also ensure that you're, you're maximizing your production, right? So if any part of the array is down, even if it's a small part, that means lost revenue and, and you know, an impact to the, the asset owner as, as well as to the subscribers. So we want to make sure that you know, everything is running as, as best as it can. And, and to that point, again, just looking to the future, and I talked about how big this industry is, the, 
community solar market is growing, you know, we're, we're trying to push the envelope in our technology and actually going to be releasing an even bigger inverter than what, what we actually deployed at, um, at Hartford Pike. And, uh, you know, it's an inverter that's three times the size with even longer strings of modules. And, uh, you know, will it work any differently? No, it's the same concept with the module level monitoring and, and our optimization to maximize energy harvest. But once again, we'll be able to drive the cost per watt down so that developers can, you know, have an even better return or, or those projects in some states that wouldn't pencil out, now they will. Right. And then we we've also acquired uh, a, a company that makes a tracker system. So the, the site at Hartford Pike is a fixed tilt. So the modules are fixed. If you put a tracker system, you could follow the sun and now increase your production as it could be as much as 20 percent, you know, depending on where it is in the country. So that's another way, you know, you build the same size system and get even more production on these difficult sites with a tracker then you know you're 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 once again helping the the entire solar ecosystem build projects that will pencil out or more profitable or more savings passed on to subscribers yeah we love well, the sound of that larger inverter ben less <laughs> less material to install longer strings less wire <laughs> less labor just translates to to more savings for the subscribers well, we'll, we will be that inverter and the, the, the 330K and, and our Solar Geek tracker. It will be on display at RE Plus this year in Las Vegas. So anybody who's listening that's planning to go to the show, please stop by our booth. Yay. Yeah, well, Solar Edge has a great reputation. I was mentioning the solar the, the guy who owns a solar installation company who I was talking to, who was very familiar with and proud of, happy with your work. The cousin, the cousin whose house we're visiting, the husband, told me that the solar panels came from Solar Edge, and I was like, I was like, what? Well, solar Edge doesn't create solar, produce solar panels, but it, but it was all branded Solar Edge, and you know the 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 whole system was from Solar Edge. So I was like, well, you know, they're they're building on their great name recognition and their their reputation globally as a tech leader and installing the whole doing the whole system here apparently but i was going to go from that you know into like what specific about solar edge technology enhances functionality and efficiency of community solar differentiates you on the market but i think you just answered all of that i think yeah that was pretty much what you just uh, answered so i think we'll just move on to back to Stuart and ask the role of an EPC in community solar projects. How does, how does that expertise contribute to the success of, how does your expertise on this kind of project contribute to the success of the project? How does your experience inform you to, to do a better job on this? Yeah. So it's, it's very similar and not very different from any other commercial utility scale solar project. It's the same idea where we're coming in, we're taking the developer's vision, you know, they're, in a lot of cases, they've already engineered the system and we're bringing the boots on the ground and the expertise to, to build and commission the system you know, as they envisioned. In some cases, the developer will come to us and we'll take care of the engineering and procurement of all the components and, and build it from the ground up. So it definitely varies from developer to developer. I think a lot of times we're, we're taking an already engineered system that's been approved by the utility and uh, building it over a number of months testing, commissioning, making sure it's going to produce what was uh, forecasted at the outset. And then 
getting that system online interconnected and um, usually just seeing it through to operations and making sure that it's operating at peak, peak performance. There's a lot of so-called EPCs out there, but they don't you know, necessarily know everything that it takes to get these systems operating at peak performance. Uh, and it's, that's why it's really important to use a company that knows exactly what they're doing. They have the qualified personnel. You know, we're talking about pretty high voltages, lots of electrical hazards, just hazards you'd find on a typical construction site. So it's really important to work with a, an EPC or a contractor that pays really close attention to safety, all the fine details of the installation, knows the hardware inside and out. Because ultimately, like I mentioned at the beginning of this uh, podcast, it's really important that these assets deliver for the next 25 years. Uh, you can, can imagine it uh, wouldn't be a, a fun phone call for one of the providers to call all 10,000 know, subscribers and say, oh, actually, we're going to have to cut this off short. <laughs> mm-hmm. So luckily, I think that doesn't happen in the industry. At least I haven't heard of that happening. But just, you know, really important to use a company that, that's, that knows what they're doing and um, that's really the most important thing that these systems last for at least 25 years. Yeah, well, it's good to have, you know, some at least 13 years of experience there. And I mean, really, 13 years ago, the solar industry was tiny. Like we were writing about how fast it was growing, how big it was getting, but it was tiny. So uh, having that extensive, that deep background in solar, I'm sure you've you've learned a lot along the way. And uh, once you've got track record projects under your belt, I mean, I think that's that's what I would be looking for. So one more question for you. What what are key factors you consider when you're planning and executing a community solar project? Um, I think it's similar to what I just mentioned. It's it's very similar to any other solar project. It's key to make make sure that we're kind of maximizing the yield of any site. So the amount of kilowatt hours per kilowatt that comes back to solar edge and, and maximizing the performance of each of each panel, you know, down to the panel level. That's definitely a key consideration keeping the design optimized to minimize the cost because ultimately the, the more expensive the cost is probably the less of a delta that the subscribers will see of savings between what they're paying the utility and what they're going to be paying uh, the community solar array. So building these projects for, you know, as least cost, you know, we don't want the lowest cost. So you definitely want a component of quality in there or the components you're using in the installation is really important. Yeah. Uh, and kind of a visionary kind of question for you guys. Uh, how do you, how do you see the community solar concept evolving in the future? Or do you see it just basically staying how it is? You know, I think that the, you know, as Stuart mentioned, and, and I mentioned, you know, more and more states are adopting uh, community solar. Uh, I think that will will continue. The market will, you know, will continue to, to grow because, uh, it just makes sense, right? The ROI is there. Uh, we're only halfway there, right? If 20 states are adopting or deploying community solar, I think Stuart said that probably 40 states have maybe at least one or some community solar already deployed. But you know, these programs are at the state level, really what helps the market open up for developers to go out there and, and do all the hard work, right? Despite all of the challenges to, to build these sites, and, you know, I think that the, you know, one of the other difficult parts of community solar is the whole building aspect, right? You know, like if you're a homeowner, you have an apartment building and you've got your electric bill and now you, you're participating in community solar. So, you know, the combining 
the billing and you know like a one bill approach is is uh, streamlining that whole process I, I think is is key yeah and something i was going to ask earlier actually too before i forget again do you have any recommendations for how someone would go about like trying to find a community solar project to be a part of you know if, if they're living in a condo townhouse and they want to find something in their state yeah I'll speak to that. And I actually just just looked into this uh, just as a kind of a test, as if I were to go sign up myself, because fortunately, I have a solar edge array in my own home, so I don't necessarily need to subscribe. But I'd start by look checking with your state energy office. So here in Rhode Island, that's the Office of Energy Resources for us. A quick Google brings us right to the community solar page that brings up a couple different providers. You can see the Hartford Pike project right on there as one of the few projects to subscribe to. And in about five minutes or so, they were ready to get me signed up. So it was pretty, pretty straightforward, a good test. I'd never actually done it myself, but very straightforward. So I would imagine other states that have programs be similar. Just check with your state energy office and see, see what guidance they can provide. But I know speaking from uh, that quick test that it was pretty simple. Cool. And anything else on that's helpful and, uh, and I think that's a key, like just make sure people understand it can be easy to do if you just Google a little bit. Anything else on how it evolves or well, the next question is sort of related anyway, how do regulatory policies and forthcoming te- technological advancements impact uh, the growth and effectiveness of community solar? So you mentioned the IRA earlier. I don't know if you want to talk about that more or, or other regulatory policies, but also yeah, technolo- technological changes can be mentioned as well. So I think the key the key driver to more projects, more adoption is really going to be in legislation and also just coordination and, and communication cooperation with the utilities. So the utility is is typically, you know, a bit against, you know, more and more solar, at least just because it's kind of decreasing their their revenue, essentially. But the more and more that the public utilities commissions from each state, the Department of Public Utilities can help the utilities see the benefit and cost saving measures for them. Also helping, you know, the legislature see the benefits, the public and these legis- and the legislation is crafted and modified. Uh, that'll certainly help more projects, more programs, resulting in more projects, more adoption, more people benefiting from from this. So I think that's really going to be the key to the future success and growth of the industry. It's it's obviously has a critical mass now where it's already taken off. It's it's a household term at this point. It's also spreads like wildfire with word of mouth. Um, you know, one neighbor signs up, next neighbor hears about it. Of course, they want to save five to ten percent on their bill. So. It's really we've reached this point now where it's it's only going to continue to grow and and that public voice will help help uh, craft and shape that legislation going forward. And I and I think that just to add to Stuart's comments that you know I attended a community solar conference in California a few months back and you know they're going through the legislation now and I think the the consensus is because of the nature of community solar is this one of the more complicated, you know, from a policy point of view, you know, solar strategies, just because there's so many stakeholders, right? That's most solar systems you see out there, like, you know, Stewart's got solar in his house, so do I, you know, it's pretty straightforward. It's mine, it's it's connected directly, I don't need to involve anyone else, even commercial projects, you know, if it's on a rooftop or a carport or whatever, it's it's meant for that business. And, and even the utility scale, it's 
you know, it's just another producing or generating asset that's direct, directly tied to the grid. So, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, challenges because of all the stakeholders and, uh, you know, and some of it will be some give and take, like, so for example, in, in California, just because of the, the request for more grid stability, you may see community solar tied with storage, right? And that way it helps yeah, I was the utility. Say, with, with all the discussion of the duck curve and all of the, the net meter, all these discussions in California, you would think it has to, has to be tied to storage, right? There's got to be a storage element. Exactly. So that's a way to you know appease the the utility and address the challenges that they have with with their grid there, which they do have. You know, along with NEM 3.0 that uh, uh, that was uh, legislated pretty recently. Uh, but you know, for the average subscriber, it doesn't change anything. It just means that you know the solar industry, along with a lot of policy folks, are working very very hard to you know push these programs through. Uh, to make sure that it will be available to subscribers and down the road. Good stuff. So I just asked about this, but just any any final comments for consumers, for for small businesses or households who want to participate in Community Solar or any advice you have or any comments for them to wrap this up? Like I said before, check with your local state energy office. And hopefully there's a program there for you. And if not, just make your voice heard. Reach out to local government, even down at the town level, and, and just let, let your elected officials know how important this is to you. And, and I'll, I'll just uh, wrap it up. Uh, thank you, Stuart. Uh, you know, I, I think in general, it's just clean, affordable energy, right, shouldn't just be for the people who own their own houses. You know, and I'm fortunate that I have solar on my house, but it 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 does give accessibility to solar for everyone, like literally everyone. So when it's planned carefully, and we talked about a lot of that today, it does offer a solution that, you know, despite many of the challenges that we face in, in building these, and it will ultimately help, you know, from an environmental point of view in, in terms of getting more solar out there. I think, you know, whether it's myself, Stuart, or anybody else in the industry, that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to get more solar deployed as quickly as we can and as soon as we can. Well, thank you both. A lot of fun. Great topic. Nothing really, uh, there's nothing nothing uh, negative about the community solar topic, really. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing you point out, Ben, is that it is a much more complicated arrangement. Everything else is just basically one owner system. I mean, whether it's a company, a utility, you know, utility company, a retailer, uh, an individual household, and the community solar element is an interesting, uh, different system. And, and the only comparable thing globally I can think of is I know in Denmark it's quite common for community stakeholders, community members to have a, get a stake in wind farms. It's a kind of a process that's helped them to really develop ma- massively the wind industry there. And it just seems like community solar is the biggest o- avenue, maybe the biggest opening, untapped you know avenue for for ramping up solar solar in the U.S. as well, because of course people who can put on their roofs have been putting on their roofs and more will, but they, they've already been doing it. Businesses have been doing it. Utilities have been doing it. And community solar is this big avenue for people without the option to put on their roofs to get into the solar revolution. So thanks for what you guys are doing to make that possible. Without you, we wouldn't, it wouldn't be possible. So, uh, you know, without you and people like you and companies like yours. So, Thank you for what you're doing. And thanks for the the informative session on community solar here. Thanks, Zach. Happy to be here.
have a sunny day yeah cheers take care thank you for listening to clean tech talk join us next time to get your electric fix If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. (laughs) 